Let's begin with uh, uh, question four. So every hour, we will go ahead and work through uh, uh, three questions into counseling, and that'll get us to the very end and in the very last hour uh, in November. We'll have, four, we'll have four questions to do, but we'll see the progression. We'll just work through it, you know, one after another, and uh, yeah, it'll be good. I, uh, uh, I really like working through these. So this first one here deals with... Uh, the development of involvement with the counselee. What's the difference between empathy and involvement? Is this difference significant? Well, you can, you can tell uh, a loaded question when you, when you see one. You know, yes, there's going to be uh, some difference. And so I'll talk you, I'll talk you through it. And uh, there's, uh, let me refer you to this book here. Basically, and it's in your notes, uh, right Right there, that uh, How to Counsel Biblically by MacArthur, page 101 to page 113. There's a lot in there, basically the whole chapter, and I think it's a chapter by uh, Dr. Mack that, that talks about uh, this here of developing a relationship with a counselor. And that's one of the things that is, uh, is quite different than the secular counselor. That, uh, yeah, you would expect a secular counselor to be a nice guy or gal, and certainly want to help this person. But for us, uh, we, are, we, we want to be like Christ. And to be like, be like Christ means that we are really loving this person and want to love them in a sacrificial, sacrificial way. Uh, so, and that, that sometimes may be very hard uh, for you because the person across from the, the table is doing some very, maybe doing some very ugly things and may be very antagonistic uh, uh, toward you and, uh, uh, and toward the Lord. And that's why their life has gotten into, uh, into trouble. And uh, that, may be very, that, that will be very painful for you if the person is, is rejecting the direction of the Lord. But you will still have to love them through it. So let's talk about this here. Okay, basically, just real short, uh, both parties, you know, this involvement is both parties connecting. You want to do this in such a way, it's just not that you're connecting with them, but you want to get to the point that they're connecting with you. And it's because what's going to happen is you want them to connect with you because you, you want them to follow the guidance you're giving them. So if you're just connecting with them, but they're still, still disconnected from you, when you really start lovingly pressing on their lives, they're just going to, re, to reject it. So you're wanting to build this involvement so that they really know you care. They really know that you are trustworthy in what you're saying. So that's what's uh, being talked about here. So in this chapter, uh, there are three ways to promote involvement. So these are steps you're going to be taking to help you connect to the person, but also to help that person who may become uh, very guarded and not trusting of anyone to put their, put their soul, their life into your hands. One is that you really want to show uh, compassion. You might feel it in your heart, but how, what are ways you can demonstrate that to connect to people? What are also respect toward this person 
And you want to love from a sincere heart, as it says. So let's look at the first one, uh, compassion. And as it says in in C, compassion means sincerely caring for them. So Jesus, our wonderful counselor, he demonstrated this. You know, when when he saw the crowds, he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart was moved to have compassion for them. As opposed to this person being a nuisance and a pain in the neck to you, you want to see them without, without a shepherd or they haven't embraced uh, the shepherd and you have compassion for them. Uh, even with the rich young ruler who did not heed Jesus' admonition, he, it says in there, he loved that, that man. So Paul demonstrated compassion. He was pretty... Uh, Pretty no-nonsense uh, a fellow who was type A and really after it, uh, as who was very directly said to the Ephesian elders and also said, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears, really, really caring, praying, uh, and being sorrowful to the point of, uh, of crying for someone. So we must, as counselors, follow these uh, examples of Jesus and Paul, and deeply care for these counselees. Now, as we develop this uh, Christ-like compassion, uh, Dr. Mack, in that chapter, gives some, uh, some suggestions how to develop this attitude. Okay? Now, think about how you would feel if you were in the counselee's position. Counselee may be in a Usually they'll come and they'll be in a, a very grave trial. And so just to, just to be thinking, oh, wow, if I was in that trial, that, that would be really, really tough. You know, if, if my spouse was treating me uh, that way, if, if my kids had uh, said those things and were running that way, yeah, to put ourselves, that would be really, really uh, tough. If I had grown up in such an environment as that without out love and without uh, some stability in the home as this person's going, going through or had gone through. So putting ourselves in that person's... Is in. Think of the counselee as a family member. And that's not, that hard of a, that's not that hard of a stretch because if the person is a believer, they really are a family member. You say, well, they're not blood-related. Well, actually, they're very blood-related. It's more, it's, you know, it's more about uh, blood of Jesus Christ than it is blood of, of mom and dad. And uh, we want the blood of mom and dad to be you know, pretty thick. But among us, we would like the blood of Jesus Christ to be even thicker uh, among us. So they are a family member. And uh, think about your own sinfulness. Remember I said one of the temptations as we were looking at Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 and, and 2 yesterday. Your tem- a temptation, if you are like me, and I've talked to some others uh, over these last 14, 15 years I've been involved in this, our temptation is, oh, well, I would, I would never do that. You know, this, but to think, or maybe you never have done that. And uh, that is something to be very, very, very thankful to the Lord about. But uh, he, there's some things you have done, and there are some things you are doing that you're very thankful for the Lord's help. So 
uh, you know, don't beat yourself up and think yourself you're, a, well, I'm a worthless person. What would I ever say to this person? Because I'm a sinner also. Uh, uh, and we're all sinners, so everything's just fine. No, that's not the case. But do think about your own sinfulness to humble uh, yourself. And think about tactful ways to show compassion. You all have been through fundamentals, and so you have seen uh, at least three videos of uh, Randy Patton counseling this couple, Trey and Deb. And... Uh, uh, Randy is really a very no-nonsense guy. I mean, it seems like to me, uh, he, if he saw something, he would, he, was gonna, he would just go at it. And I remember sitting under Randy's teaching, and he did my supervision once. He said, Ken, when I, get a, when I start you know, ministering the Word, and the, I can see the counselee is, is really balking on the direction I'm going, I don't often, I don't usually force it, especially in the beginning. I sort of, I back off, you know, and I walk very tenderly and kindly with the person. And then uh, after the session, talk to the Lord, pray and see if there's another direction he might have me come the next time as I'm talking to the person or a different verse I could use that would be helpful to this person. So I think maybe I told, told you uh, that um, often people will come and they are bitter, as it says in Hebrews. Do not let the, that root of bitterness uh, grow. And so what will happen? Bitterness will grow up in a person and that will start to destroy immediate and their relationships. And so you're working with a person, you've worked with them, and uh, at times, in the beginning, I would say, well, I mean, you struggle with bitterness here and be going on to tell them how we'll help them with that. And I never got any agreement with the, they're bitter. I just never did. And so I realized, well, uh, why don't I have them read the next to last verse in Ephesians 4? If you look at the last verses in Ephesians 4, it says, you know, don't bitterness, wrath, anger, these things. And it says, put off those. And the next verse says, you know, put on kindness and forgiveness. It says, you've been forgiven. Uh, by God, by the work of Christ. So I just have them read those two verses and ask them, oh, do you see your attitude anywhere in there? And wow, so often they say, yeah, I, I've developed bitterness. And so just different ways of thinking in a compassionate kind of way, what would be most helpful to uh, that person. So th be th thinking of tactful. Now, in saying all this, uh, Remember, uh, often what a counselee will do is that they will uh, try actually to manipulate the counseling session and control it. So you need, with gentle gloves and a heart of compassion, to still keep this under control. You've got to be flexible. It's not going to go... Uh, you know, all the time, the way you want exactly. And you're going to have to try some different things, but still, you are, are the one that God has put into a uh, leadership position here, but definitely a slave, a servant to this person to move things ahead as the Spirit is guiding you. All right? So just some things to think about and some ideas that you may incorporate as you're answering uh, this question of what you think. Now, 
demonstrating res respect. Webster de defines respect as considering another worthy of honor. You know, every person sitting across from you is uh, worthy of honor. Uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer, a philosopher who lived in the last century, probably the greatest uh, Christian philosopher of that century, said that everyone has, has honor and worth because everyone is made in the image of God. No matter how tarnished, they are made in uh, that image. And so they have uh, some honor, and we need to respect them for that. Now, we can show uh, respect by exercising the following. What proper verbal uh, communication now, says here, the wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words promote instruction. It's interesting, as you read things about counseling it, from the Word of God, they will use words such as gentle. Remember last night, we looked at the, just those short verses of Galatians 6, 1-2. It says to do it gently. All right. Uh, and uh, gently means not pushing with your full strength uh, there. Uh, so also another uh, key passage, it's at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it's talking about a teacher there and has somebody that doesn't agree with them. And that's appropriate certainly for a teacher, but certainly it's appropriate for everyone who's a servant of God. Uh, and it says... You know, if someone is not agreeing with you, continue to teach from the Word of God, but do it gently and with the desire and anticipation from the Lord that the, he will help them become entangled from the sin uh, that they're in. So here are some references here. Now, so there's a way to show respect from our nonverbal communication. So this little acronym here, a solver, how can you show respect? Sometimes uh, you might just, someone comes in and you, they're telling you the same story again. Your, your eyes might drift and you might big yawn. You might slack back in the chair. These things you think you'll never do. Well, you might end up doing them. Just think, you might even do it with your, with your spouse even. These might be good here to show. Right, Mike? You know, so. <laughs> If you're like me, you know, I've caught, oh, this is no way to be listening to Beth. This is, this, is, this, this, is not, this is not just terrible. This is shameful and sinful and need to practice it. You know, really, really, really square off. Square the shoulders. Listen to the, listen to the person. Have an, have, an, have an open stance. You know, not with your, uh, you know, arms crossed. I, I often just naturally end that way. I don't think I'm being, trying to be protective, but trying and just being... Uh, open, having hands on the table, out there, the person really showing you, trying to take it in, what they're saying. Actually leaning, leaning forward and uh, showing that you're intently engaged uh, with them, not leaning back, like kicking, kicking back and chilling out. Uh, your, your vocal uh, quality as you're doing some reflective listening. Now, uh, did I hear you say this? And uh, there's a way that your tone is can be condemning or it can be exploring and respectful of what they said. And certainly 
uh, and eye contact, not looking all around, not keep looking up at the clock and not looking, you know, who might be passing around uh, outside or, you know, the watch or, you know, okay, now, you know, I really need to get this message here, you know, uh, all those things that have gotten sort of part of our lives, really give this person uh, attention. Uh, these are some ways that uh, would be helpful. But also, have it be uh, relaxed. Uh, not too stiff, but not too relaxed. Take the, pro- the counselee's problems seriously. This might be something you've heard many times, but it's this person who you're trying to help. And also, uh, welcoming the uh, counselee's input. You might assign some homework, and uh, then just ask them, well, how, how did that go? And, uh, and I said, well, that went pretty well. And then just ask them, well, do you, instead of one verse next time, do you want two? And they might say yes, they might say no. Uh, I've, I've, got a, I've got a couple I'm working with, and uh, when they started, I could tell, this is going to be a little challenge, because I like to read, I like to assign reading. I could tell the fellow was not a reader. Ooh, wow, okay, so we got him started reading. Now, uh, uh, I got him reading uh, two chapters. I meet with him every other week because uh, his business schedule, he's traveling, but he's set aside in his work. He'll, he'll be in town every, every other week so we can meet. Well, uh, I have him reading two chapters over the two weeks. Well, uh, I was going too slow, so he, he's picked up another book. He's uh, working through uh, Peacemaking for Family, and we got to the idle part, he realizes he is an idol for work, so he, he's reading Brad's book on idols. So it's just great to see them kicking it in gear beyond where they were and where you thought they were and working uh, you know, with them. So yeah, uh, it's fun when you get to that point. Now the third one in this, remember you're trying to build this in, involvement to get them to connect to you so that they will listen to you, not so much they're listening to you, but they're listening to what you're presenting from the Word of God. Remember, demonstrating sincerity uh, was one. Counseling must know for sure that uh, his counselor is genuine and honest. Ways to demonstrate this sincerity is be honest about your qualifications. We don't have all kinds of letters behind our names and have, you know, four, six, eight-year degrees and PhDs in that kind of counseling. But, you know, our, our qualifications are that we are, are people of God like them, and we believe that uh, God has put us here to be a servant to help them, to be honest uh, about that. Be honest about your uh, own uh, weaknesses. You can uh, often, I will talk about a place where uh, I have sinned or struggled, and then shown how uh, God has used somebody in the body or circumstance or answered a prayer or or something like that. Not that I uh, sit in some ivory ivory tower and all is just hunky-dory, you know, for me, and everything at home is just perfect. It's not perfect at home because I'm at home, you know, so there. Um, and often when, for us, when we deal with uh, uh, children issues, and we have permission, we have, uh, God gets, gave us one son, 
Mark. He's he's 26 now, and uh, we had we had horrendous years during junior high years to, to the point that we almost had to have him removed from the home. So how how can you be a biblical counselor? And that was my that was my major role where I served before I came here to Grace Fellowship Church. How how can that be happening to you and such chaos in your home? Well, God really used that to humble me and teach me a lot. Sure, sure, Mark grew a lot and all, but probably dad grew the most, mom next, and then, then Mark. And so in God's kindness, uh, he's doing very, very, very well uh, now in life. So, uh, but I, I, he gave us permission, and he has permission to share what crazy parents he had too if he's talking to, to people. And we have permission to talk to people about that, and sometimes it gives them encouragement as they're going uh, through issues and going through those, those volatile uh, years. Okay. Uh, be honest about your goals and agenda, you know, explaining to them you know, what you're doing in the session, what you're working on, where you're headed uh, with them. Uh, be honest about your limitations. Uh, be humble but not uh, overly vulnerable. You know, what I mean by vulnerable there, that they take over control of the uh, counseling. You know, humble, I have no answer on my own, but I know that God will help me be of help to you. You have a confidence that God will help you be that. All right? Um, vulnerable, have some words uh, there. You know, oh, I'm a poor counselor. They should have assigned you to someone else. You know, <laughs> well, maybe you're thinking that, uh, but that's not, you don't have to go quite that far, you know, because you don't want to or totally erode this person's confidence that God will, will use uh, you. And you will be surprised how he will. Um, now, need, and I need to have both empathy and involvement. Now, empathy here is really more, the difference between involvement and empathy here is empathy is more that, it's, that you have a deep feeling for the person, a deep concern for the counselees. And this could be uh, an emotion of one party. I mean, and so this is where, Yes, you want, you want to have empathy, but what you're really doing is you want to build the involvement where both of you are connected, just not that you have this feeling. And what they're worried about here, you know, all these questions are things that come up, is this, you get this empathy, and often, what I talked about last night, is that you get this, this empathy in you gets control, so what you, what you end up doing is trying to help the person change their circumstances. And you, you, a lot of times circumstances are not going to be something you can, can change. All right, What you need to do is to help them live in a godly way in the circumstances, even if God chooses not to change those circumstances. If they are in hard, tough circumstances, yes, you can always pray that God will change them. The heat will come off. Uh, but we, we have to help them. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful that he will provide a way out so that they can stand under it so they won't run from it but be able to stay there as long as God has them in that, that trial. So involvement points to action with both parties uh, connecting. So that's uh, what's being talked about. Okay, remember, compassion is not so much an emotion 
as it is a choice of the will to love this person. Uh, uh, Let me give you you a definition of love. A lot of times our definitions of love are, are maybe formed more by secular music than they are the love. But let me give you a definition for love. Uh, if I can remember this, it's still early in the morning. Uh, uh, love is an affectionate disposition. Love is an affectionate disposition that motivates the lover. Love is an affectionate disposition, affectionate disposition that motivates the lover. To act consistently for the welfare of another. To act consistently for the welfare of another. Whether the other deserves it or or reciprocates. Love is an affectionate disposition that motivates the lover to act consistently for the welfare of another, whether the other deserves it or reciprocates. All right. It's easy. I mean, it's easy to love somebody who's lovable. Love really is when you love someone who's not, not lovable. And so that's what you're doing. And some of that has to be an act of the will to love uh, this, this person. Okay. Choice of the will. Three, even if the counselor does not feel empathy, he should still develop involvement. Often feelings of love for others follow the decision to act in a way that pleases and benefits them. This, this is true whether it's in counseling, whether it's other people, and you're going to Remember the, when we talked about the goal of biblical counseling? It was helping people to become a greater lover. So for them to see you love. Yes? Um, where did that definition come from? Uh, let's see. Where that definition came from, um, Introduction to Biblical Ethics. Introduction to Biblical Ethics by Robertson, uh, Robertson McQuilkin. Some of you may have heard the story of Robertson McQuilkin. He was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. And uh, uh, his wife, in her late 50s, early 60s, she developed uh, Alzheimer's in in a big way. And uh, he was president of this school. And it turns out that that's where Brad and I both went to. uh, He went to Bible college. He and Vicki went to Bible college. Then uh, and met. Then he went on to seminary, and uh, that is where I went to seminary. And the, the four of us uh, met and became friends over over 20 years ago. So that's how I got here. And so Robertson McQuilkin was the uh, president there of the school uh, when um, Rand Vicky were in Bible college. By the time I got there, he had just resigned, and um, the trustees of the school. Uh, knew that Miriam had had just this severe early case of Alzheimer's. She had been a, a speaker around the world dealing with missions, had a radio program, and started. she started repeating herself on the radio program and just quickly, quickly went downhill. 
and needed to almost full-time care in her very early 60s. And he was just just in stride then of moving this. If you've ever been to Columbia Bible College, it's, it's really not a very big, fancy place. Uh, they make it not fancy on purpose because it's mainly a, tra- a missions training place. So they, you won't be used to this Taj Mahal type place and then go do missions. I mean, it, but it, it was just moving to a place of being a greater force in the world of, of missions. Uh, most of the people that go there do go into missions. Brad and I are actually two of the rarities uh, that have not ever served vocationally in full-time missions. So the trustees, uh, it's, it's, it's not a lot of wealth there, but the trustees had worked out a way to have Marion uh, go to a, a nursing home uh, real close to the school and to be under full-time care there and presented it to Robertson at a meeting. And uh, he was o- overly grateful, but he said that... Uh, well, uh, she's given me all these years of my life. Yes, I love serving in this way, uh, but uh, I need to care for my wife. And so uh, they moved out of the president's house on campus, bought a, a small home in a marginal neighborhood. And I can remember often driving by as Beth and I would be out, and there'd be a light on in uh, Marion's room there. And he was basically, you know, she didn't recognize who he was. He's basically... Uh, changing diapers, and uh, you know, once maybe a semester, he'd give a talk, and uh, you know, someone would go over. His sister lived next door. His sister would care for Miriam, and he would come in and uh, do a chapel service or something like that for us. And I don't remember. You know, you never know. And during that time, he wrote a book about the Holy Spirit uh, and did a lot of did a lot of writing in that way. Uh, but about twenty years before all that happened. He wrote this book, Introduction to Christian Ethics, and he wrote that definition, what love was, and was the basis of his life. He didn't know that he would be called to actually have to demonstrate it in such a way that has been used over and over again. You might have seen it on the Internet or had someone preach to about it around Valentine's Day or at a wedding or something something like, like that. And, uh, uh, you know... Seeing them and uh, Beth, Beth, because she did some things with women on campus, uh, was new woman was very involved with Robertson. Just a great guy. Uh, he's still alive. He must be ninety now. And uh, uh, Mary had ha passed away, and uh, he came back into service for the school, and uh, just working, traveling the world, and uh, uh, he, he's married and caring for another. Uh, person. She's much younger, caring for him a lot, but he, I always see him, you know, doing things, writing and so forth. Just don't know what God will call you uh, to. But he wrote that definition in, in that book. All right. So, thank you for asking where that came from. Um, now, just be careful of uh, empathy, except, ex- excessively siding with the counselee through struggles. Uh, yes, your spouse is an evil rat, and you should do this to get them uh, to straighten out. No, we don't want to start talking and thinking uh, that way. You get blinded, so you don't help, you don't really help the counselee. They need to see uh, and not see their contribution to the conflict. Trying to change the other person, not there. It's, you know, you might have to say some tough things to that counselee 
And so it's easier to fall back on your empathy and talk about the person that's not there, talk about the evil, as opposed to saying tough things to the counselee about uh, how they need to change. May God help us develop both, uh, let's say, a healthy empathy and involvement with our counselees. Okay? So, see what's being talked about there? And I think that one of the reasons for this question is, in the early days, some people had a complaint with uh, biblical counselors and said that uh, we weren't very kind, we weren't very compassionate, we weren't very respectful, and that all we did was somebody came in, we could see they had a problem with anger, we gave them a verse on anger, and said, hey, so the Bible says, you're not supposed to be anger, angry, stop that. And uh, don't come back to me. Just start following the Word of God, and here we're done in, you know, 35 minutes. I'm sure there are people that do that. But even Jay Adams, as big a bear and a strong guy he was, he never did that or thought about doing that, that sort of thing. But they just want to make it sure, talk to us about, you know, uh, not being that way. And there, sure, there might be people that like to be confrontational and like to be contentious, and they gra- maybe they gravitate to biblical counseling because that gives them a platform to really hammer away at people. Well, hopefully they find some other way to express their sin and not in biblical counseling. Uh, and so it especially has moved uh, to uh, developing real care, sincerity of love and respect. All right, let's move, shift gears, and we're going to shift to data gathering. Very, very uh, important. You know, now if you were uh, in secular counseling, you know, all these things that we're studying here, they take semesters to teach you. What are we we doing? We, you know, we sat in uh, fundamentals of biblical counseling for 30 hours of instruction. How are we going to know anything? Well, fortunately... Uh, we, we want to know as much as we can, but we have a great helper in, in prayer and the, the Lord, the Spirit, and the Word of God uh, to help people, and we're just in a totally different realm of the way we help folks. But that doesn't mean that we're just totally ignorant in what we're doing. Yes, there are some things we need to do. Gathering data is uh, certainly important. So definition for gathering data, once again, comes from the book I showed you. And data gathering gathering is gaining all the information possible that relates to the counselee problem. It'll come in with a problem, but typically we have problems. So, all right. Uh, Wayne Max. Uh, You know what? I don't know where that, you know, actually, I don't know where that definition that's in bold came from. I don't know if I made that up or what, but... Actually, I see now, Wayne's Mac is an organized method of gaining information and incorporates substantial times of listening to the counselee. So there's two definitions to choose from. You can even write your own as long as it follows uh, some pattern like that. God has stated that as we deal with others, we must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become come, uh, angry. Remember, as you're doing this, you gather a data, uh, gathering of data. Uh, you want to be a very good uh, listener, but you want to you want to speak. You want to ask uh, uh, qualifying questions there and so forth. And Proverbs eighteen. Let's let's look at this. This is pretty cool. 
that uh, these, all these verses are in Proverbs 18, and they, they follow almost one after, after, the not, after the other. So if you remember that, oh, all I've got to do is get the Proverbs 18, you're in pretty good shape because uh, you just start with 13, and it goes 13, 15, and 17. And so uh, I often will use these verses in the first session. We talked about the first session last night. I'll use these verses and, and tell them, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. And uh, this is what I say to the honestly, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, and I'm going to ask you to please tell me the truth, because I cannot help you unless you tell me the truth. Uh, and I, I even give them permission. If I ask you a question and you aren't ready to talk about that issue yet, tell me that you're not ready. I'd rather know that than for you to give me some idea that is not really correct of what the situation is. All right? And so we read these verses we read these verses together in Proverbs uh, 13, to answer before listing, that is folly and shame. And I tell them, I don't want to treat you in a shameful way. I want to listen to what you're saying. The, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. I want to be uh, discerning for you. The ears of the wise seek it out. And in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and, and cross-examines. That one I usually don't read. What that means is if you just have a singular person sitting in front of you, uh, uh, you may not be getting the, you know, the full story there. And remember, remember that. It might seem very convincing. Uh, that's why, if, especially if you're doing uh, counseling where there's a conflict between two parties, whether spouses, family, or church members, all as if you can get the other party in there, get that other person in there. And even, even let's say, uh, even not, let's say it's, it's not really, it's, it's not per se a conflict between husband and wife, but let's say the, let's say the husband is struggling with a singular issue. Let's say it's uh, um, anger or pornography, and it's anger at work, and at home he's fine, uh, or it appears fine. I always try and get the wife to be there because uh, we're, all, we're all blinded to our sin and how that is expressed. So just to have that other person there confirming what's, what's being said or clarifying or really presenting the, the full true picture of what's going, going on is always very uh, helpful. Okay, six kinds of data. There is uh, physical data. Uh, there are resources, emotions, actions, concepts, historical. Uh, and the historical can be hysterical, too, uh, that you'll get. Uh, so we'll, we'll work through these different types. Let's talk about the, the first type, physical data. Facts about the counselees of physical body uh, there. And, and just talking to them, uh, such as sleep, diet, exercise, illness, medication. Now, uh, we, as a counselee, uh, counselor, I've never counseled anyone to go off their medicines. 
you know, I let the Holy Spirit speak to the person, and often they will then ask me, you know, uh, you know, should I go off my medicines? And then, uh, you know, we'll talk through it, and I'll say, well, if you feel that uh, things have become stable enough and so forth, that uh, you want to talk to your medical provider, go ahead and talk to them. But do not go off your medicines until you have talked to your provider and your provider uh, agrees with the step that you're, you're taking. But when it comes to some of these issues of diet and, and sleep, I have actually sent uh, people to a doctor to get medicines to help them sleep. It is amazing how you can take a very, very responsible person, and if that person becomes extremely sleep-deprived, how crazy they can start acting uh, almost, uh, not almost psychotic, they can act psychotic. I can remember having a, a person I worked with, not at uh, Grace Fellowship, but at Liberty Bible, where I was before, and uh, uh, this person, very respectful, upper management position in a major corporation, he retires, and he just becomes a nut. And uh, uh, it comes in and uh, got him to get on some sleep medicine that stabilized some things. And uh, we had to do a total restructuring of his life because work had been the foundation of his life. But uh, what we also needed to get some of that psychotic behavior out of it and sleep. So the learning that about him was very, very uh, important. Okay. Uh, and that's what the little story is about there, the bizarre behavior. Two, now, also you have to see what resources does a person have, okay? What uh, resource counseling has at their disposal for assisting and working through their trials well? Uh, most important, uh, are they, are they uh, a child of God? Have they moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? That is so important. You can't expect someone who is not a believer for these things to happen. As 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know, the old is gone, the new has come. They are a new creation. You want to know, is this a resource? The person has the spirit in them. Okay. Good. Uh, talking there about the divine power. Other resources, you know, do they have an accountability partner? Are they, are they in a ladies' a Bible a study? Uh, are they a part of a small group? One of the things that we re require here that someone is in doing counseling and they're in a, in a small group. Now, and what we say is they're not just in a small group. They are participating in a small group. They are receiving and giving. Uh, I have someone that's in my small group, uh, who I ideally care for, and uh, I know that he's in the counseling process. Well, uh, he has not been at the last two small group meetings, and so I'm going to let the uh, counselor know, uh, you know, so-and-so is not there. And uh, also we have people in our small group, you know, checking up on, on the person. He's neglecting uh, that resource and care. All right, data about emotions, okay? Emotions but ne must never be ignored since they can uh, warn of real problems being faced. Um, uh, sometimes when we talk about emotions, uh, we talk about feelings and we talk negatively about feelings. And we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't let our lives be run by our feelings and, and things like that. But... Uh, 
Feelings are very important to us. Yes, they can uh, take us in the wrong direction, but also they can be, be very helpful. You know, it is, uh, it, is, it is good that I feel fearful about walking around certain areas of uh, Covington at night. You know, Mike would tell me not to walk in those areas. Now, um, and I grew up in, in a city, lived in, lived in downtown Philadelphia and Chicago, and uh, walked all kinds of crazy places. And uh, so I don't, you don't know when you move to a new area what places you really shouldn't be uh, walking all the time. But I quickly learned that uh, there were certain places that I, I need to be more careful about uh, going. So that kind of emotion is, is a good one. Now, most folks live according to their emotions. And some counselees have what we call a low EQ, a low emotional quotient. They become emotional too quickly. Example, the slightest discouraging word sends them into anger or, on the other side of the coin, a deep sadness and even depression. They only process their emotions and they don't process uh, the truth. You're familiar with the why uh, diagram? That's, you know, coming to a point of decision. Do I choose mainly the root that's my emotions or uh, do I choose the root that is sowing uh, to the spirit? And then thinking about a person's emotions. Now, is this person displaying uh, anger, fear? Are they driven by pleasure? Or another one is they can just be extremely apathetic about life. Ask. How do you feel about your problem? You might think, well, we're not supposed to ask about feelings. Ask about feelings. Get it, get it out in the open and see what is driving them. You're gathering a data here. Now, data about actions. Uh, what they do and do not do. Ask, what have you done about your problem? Very, very key. And one that you'll ask continually during the time as, as problems pop up and things. Actions indicate where a person is truly functioning in life. This person could be a significant leader in a, a company, an organization, or even a, a church or parachurch organization, but ask about that. Some references to look up, we'll have to slide on those so we can keep on schedule, but do look up uh, Luke 6 there and Luke 11. So we want to help. Following God's commands is an invitation to the fullness of life and help them in that uh, uh, direction. Deuteronomy 30 there talks about, I've given before you life, I've given you death. Life is to follow the Lord's commands. Now, data about concepts. What's this person really, really believing? Uh, indicates what is truly going on in, in this person's this heart. I remember I had a person... Uh, married uh, later in life, and uh, oh wow, this this person real this person was a believer had been a believer a long time, and he really really had uh, this concept in his mind that uh, the wife was to be uh, uh, I mean just uh, way down there on the totem pole as a, a a lowly servant to every woman wish that that he had this. You know, he served in a Christian organization, seemed like a nice guy. But once you really got talking to him, what his concepts were of marriage, they were way out of line from Scripture, though, just beating his wife up, uh, using 
of the scriptures. So uh, that, was a, that was a challenging one. Since the heart is the control center for worship and life, data about concepts is the essential there. What does this person believe about God? What are this person's real desires in life? And then there's uh, historical data. You know, what's happened to this person in, in the past? It's not an ex excuse, anything like that. Especially uh, important with uh, working with a manager, working with women uh, in our day and age. Many uh, women have been uh, uh, sexually abused, sexually taken care of, and that continues to uh, plague them, to the, uh, define them. And uh, that's something we need to, to know about. You know, it's very personal to be able to help them move out of that uh, uh, black definer to be able to live as uh, full women and children of God uh, that God would have them want to live. All right? But it often does provide understanding about uh, their, current, their current struggle. Now, four primary ways, methods of gathering data uh, using the personal data inventory form, you know, that PDI, uh, what some counselors do. Um, I don't do this so much, but Brad does it. He actually re-goes through the PDI, goes through every question again. I go through, I don't have the PDI. He, I mean, he has the PDI in front of him and goes through every single one. You know, I have the questions in my mind, and I don't want them to know. Uh, they know I've read the PDI, but I want, and I know what they've said. I ask them again fresh what they wrote on the PDI to see if I get the same answer again and see where it has changed and so forth. So, but, but pay attention carefully, and uh, I often will reread that PDI before they come in, especially the first and second, third session, so I really know what they've written. Asking good questions. You do not ask questions that have an answer of yes and no. You want questions that are explanatory, and they tell you. Observing halo data. Uh, actually, we're going to talk about halo data. Halo data is uh, things just uh, peripheral, uh, and we'll talk about that from question 12. And, uh, but it's uh, real key. Assigning homework. You can learn a, some things you can't take, take all the time in the counseling time. You have to do it through assigning homework. And that'll be discussed more in question six, just about homework. But an example, you mentioned that you were not uh, doing your responsibilities. Record in your spiritual journey for our journey, journal for our next meeting what responsibilities you are negligent with. As a, you know, they say, well, I'm not doing all I should do. You know, ask them, uh, not necessarily them, because it might take too long and be fuzzy. Have them write it down in their journal and uh, to gather that kind of information. Data gathering, extremely important, cannot be overemphasized. If data gathering is done poorly, uh, you know, we'll not have the correct picture of what the real problem is. We don't want that. We, cannot, we won't be able to help, and we could make matters worse. We certainly don't want that. Example of inadequate data gathering was the interaction between Eli and Hannah. You know, she, she, he had her as a drunk, you know. She was actually a very spiritual woman, you know, praying to the Lord. We don't want that going on. Uh, example of interaction between Job and his so-called so-called friends there. They thought they had listened long enough and it was time for them. 
to talk about how he must be doing terrible things for God to do these terrible things uh, to him. So there's a good chapter called Asking Questions, a Christian Counselor's Manual uh, by Adams. And uh, here, um, you know, may all biblical counselors heed what uh, God has clearly said. You know, do not be wise in your own eyes. We memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I would contend with you, do not ever, ever stop at verse 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Remember, you memorize verse 7. It begins, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, shun evil uh, too. Um, ask for wisdom and uh, balance optimism with pessimism with reality. And remember, uh, be kind to everyone. Everyone is fighting a great uh, battle. And then Proverbs 18.2, The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks that knowledge. So we do that through the gathering of a data. All righty. Um, let's look at question six. Homework. <clears throat> now, I will tell you, where I haven't known a counselor that has not started here. And uh, I had been counseling actually for a number of years, and this was one of the major things that I learned in the certification process. I thought I did a good job in homework, but my homework still was too broad, too shotgun. It wasn't focused enough on the issue that the person was struggling with. So uh, very, very important. All homework is to be specific and concrete, uh, general in, in vague. Okay? Uh, I mean, does not, what I mean by that, it does not deal with the issue being worked on during the counseling session. Okay? An example of general and vague homework. Assign the counselor the Bible to read this week. All right, say, so, well, go ahead and uh, you know, read. Uh, in Matthew this week. Well, where in Matthew? How often? How much? You know, what, what section? And, you know, what's going to pertain to what they have told you? Be specific and concrete with the homework. Deal directly with the issue being dealt with in the counseling session. Hits the center of the target with a bullet and not scattered buckshot. Example, if during the counseling time, uh, the four laws of uh, communication were presented. An effective uh, homework assignment would be, you know, read Ephesians 4 four times throughout the coming week. And after each reading, record in your spiritual journey a different biblical truth that impacts your growth in communicating uh, in a loving way. All right? So you, you direct them, you know, to exactly what would be helpful to them and to what you have covered. Now, uh, Jay Adams, in his uh, manual, uh, cites six justifications for a specific concrete homework. Now, homework, uh, if you're counselee, often they will come to you after they have been to secular counseling and tried different things. And they will not, uh, they will not have been assigned homework. So this is going to be a new thing uh, for them. But uh, this is something very... Uh, a key to our type of counseling and uh, watching people grow. And actually, you want to get so good with your homework assignment, 
is that the, that the greatest times of growth are not when they're with you, it's when they're doing their homework. And you want to assign homework that leads them into developing spiritual disciplines that they'll do through the rest of their life long after they've forgotten your name and they're continuing to grow in the Lord and ready for the trials and temptations that are presented them so they can continue to grow in character. So one is regular uh, homework assignments set a pattern for expectations for change. You know, this is just not we're talking about things. We're, we're talking about things so that things are going to be uh, different. Uh, there's a, I might have it somewhere in these notes here, but I often tell them, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Uh, if, if you want a reference for that, I saw it as a bumper sticker on some guy's car. It might have been a gal. And it said, it said uh, Zen Buddhist proverb. But, well, okay. It's still true to us. You know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Um, uh, so it's very important to set that expectation. Often a counselor has been to other counselees, uh, has been solely talk. When the, a counselor is asked to record three practical ways that he can apply the reading material to his life, he sees that this counseling is different. By assigning per, pertinent homework and requiring that it be done from the beginning, the counselee sees that real change is your and God's goal for him. Two, homework clarifies expectations. Counseling sessions are extremely emotional times for the counselee. Uh, once he leaves, he can easily forget the main idea of what the counselor's been trying to reinforce. All kinds of emotions have been stirring. They're listening, but when they walk out, what, what, you know, what, was the, what, what do they want me to work on? What do they want me to do? By assigning uh, that uh, he can do a kind act each day to the enemy with whom he lives, he will see that the main idea of the session was that God has enabled him to love his enemy. All right? And assign that and then in it, you know, and write it down. I want you to do this kind act, and I want you to write down what kind act you actually did in your spiritual journal. And when you come back in, uh, we'll talk about, you know, those kind acts. And then he might have thought when he writes them down, comes in and says, oh, I was the kindest guy in the world. He really see. Yeah, he wasn't kind at all. He was manipulative fear what he was doing. And, but he didn't see it, so you're there able to help uh, with them. Uh, three, enables the counselor to do more counseling more rapidly. Session usually only lasts one hour. Counseling work is greatly expanded beyond just the counseling uh, time. Example, write down 10 items that you appreciate about your spouse. If you ask them to do that when they're sitting in front of you, you will use up the whole hour as they're trying to think. They can't think of three things or one thing. But there probably are more than, way more than 10, even in a very tough marriage, but over the week or two, they can sit. Think about that. And what you're basically doing is getting them to do Philippians 4, you know, 8 and 9, where it says, you know, think about those good things that are uh, excellent and, and praiseworthy. Have them come to mind. During this session, uh, hard to come up with. Four, uh, keeps the counselee from becoming dependent upon the counselor. Yes. Uh, isn't there a movie, something like, What About Bob? Uh, that shows this guy wants to go on vacation and things like, like that. Uh, so now I will tell you, I have become such friends with uh, 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 
people I have counseled that we have gone on vacation, and I don't go on vacation with all my counselees. I can't, I don't do that. You know, there, maybe there's a limit to involvement, but uh, I have actually, we have become such close friends. We have done vacation together uh, as a delightful time for all of us to see that person, what has happened in their, in their life. All right, let's go down to, down, you can read, read this here. Five. Homework enables both the counselor and counselee to gauge the progress or lack of it. <clears throat> I always ask the person to write things in their journal. I uh, will ask, in fact, uh, I sometimes will give them uh, an old, a composition notebook if they don't have laying around the house a spiral notebook that they can write in because I want them to be using their journal. I want them to write things down. Dawson Troutman the founder of the Navigator's Ministry, said, when a thought has to come uh, down your arms, through your fingers, in a pencil, or right on a page, it has a way of sinking deeper into your heart. You want things to change? Remember repentance, the radical change in the heart, something about writing things down. Write in a journal, and then also, they may, you can make copies, Xerox copies of that journal, and you can see what is written uh, uh, there. So, very, very helpful. Uh, okay, okay. Example there. Counselor is assigned to memorize a biblical definition of love. I gave that to you, and then you still don't ask them to memorize it, but ask them how they demonstrated that uh, each day. All right. So six. Homework allows the the counselor to deal with problems and patterns that develop under controlled current. Condition. Life can be complicated, and often the counselor can't sort out one end. Counselee can't sort out one end from the other. The counselor can either, so he needs help. To assist in data gathering uh, process, to assist in the gather gathering process, the counselor assigns the counselee to list his own sins during a conference table session. Remember the four laws of communication. You're also given some material on the conference table. I have my couple uh, now working through the uh, using the conference table in their relation, relationship. And it's very helpful as they make notes, of, uh, very accurate notes about what they're talking about this time. And as opposed to them trying to come to the counseling session, and I ask them, well, how'd that conversation go over intimacy? And they just sort of all start talking, they both start talking, and you wouldn't, by the time you get done, you wouldn't think they were in the same room together. But, you know, doing the homework, following the conference table, you know, writing down, you know, what's the problem, what things were resolved, what they were written, very helpful to myself as I'm trying to help uh, that person. This additional data will help the counselee see how the, the counselor see how the counselee is responding in this controlled situation. And the conference table is nothing but a very controlled situation of two people trying to speak to each other in a respectful way. Okay. So hopefully this gives you some things to uh, write about to deal with involvement, empathy, uh, help you there uh, with the uh, data gathering and uh, so 